The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a Democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C., and a political commentator for news radio stations WGN in Chicago and KNX in Los Angeles. My company... Bannon Communications Research pulls for and designs research-based media and message strategies for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling and communications company, go to facebook.com front slash Bannon dash communications dash research. My Twitter handle is Brad Bannon, all one word. Today, my guest in the first half hour is Dr. Robert Shapiro, who will discuss the economic impact of the coronavirus. In the second half hour, our guest on the provocative progressive political panel is Democratic strategist Tim Zink, who joins us to discuss the Democratic presidential race. If you want to be part of the show and talk directly to me and our guest, Call us at 888-6LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Our first guest today is Dr. Robert Shapiro, who is chairman of the Sonicon, an economic advisory firm and a senior fellow of the McDonough School of Business at Georgetown University. He is an internationally known economist who has advised, among others, President Bill Clinton, Vice President Al Gore Jr., British Prime Ministers Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, and then the United States Senators Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. He was also Undersecretary of Commerce for Economic Affairs in the Clinton administration. His website is www sonicom.com that's www.sonecon.com and his twitter handle is rob shapiro all one word dr shapiro thanks for joining us today on deadline dc with brad bannon uh it's a pleasure to be here brad okay well uh first of all why don't you tell our listeners uh what happened uh on Wall Street today. It was a pretty disastrous day, or at least started out that way. Why don't you explain what happened? Well, the the sell-off of stocks was so great that um, the stock exchange has what are called circuit breakers. And when prices are falling very, very rapidly, they kick in and there's a pause in trading. Trading stops. And that's to give people kind of a breather. Uh, and that's what happened today. Uh, and um, But 
that circuit breaker doesn't kick in until um, uh, there are very large declines. And we had, you know, I think it's about, uh, it kicked in at about 1,500 points. Uh, I haven't checked checked uh, checked into the market in the last hour or so, but the fact is, the stock market is pricing in the fact that there will be no corporate profits this year. It is beginning to price in the likelihood of a recession. Uh, right now, I'd estimate, and this is what you would hear privately from Wall Street banks that the likelihood of a recession by May or early June is now running about 70%. Uh, And so this is the entire economic landscape is changing. And we can understand why that's happening if, you know, we can describe it, and then uh, I think everyone can understand it, uh, if you'd like me to do that, Brad. I certainly will. I think our listeners would love to know uh, what's going on here and why it's happening. Right. This is what economists call a classic shock to the economy. It didn't come from inside the economy like the the 2008 collapse. Uh, It comes from outside the economy like the 1974 quadrupling of oil prices. Uh, and so, and so, no one was prepared for it. Now, the first, uh, the first stage of response to this uh, is we're seeing now, which is um, uh, banning of large gatherings. We see that in you know festivals like the Southwest Festival. You see it in conferences that are being canceled, um, and also. Uh, a, a sharp decline in using airplanes, in particular, uh, public transport. What do these things have together? They're gatherings of people in closed places, and that's what people are becoming very concerned about. Well, the next stage of that is um, gathering smaller gatherings rather than just large gatherings. And uh, we're beginning to see... Uh, closing of some schools, um, you know, a classroom is a smaller gathering. That means that parents have to stay home. Uh, if it if the virus uh, spreads in a, in an intense way in urban areas, and we'll, we won't know that until we can do testing. Uh, it's the incompetence of the way this has been managed is really criminal. Uh, if you get that, then you get closings of offices and factories, and then the economy closes down. Uh, so it's a, uh, you know, all of, at, at once you have a sharp decline in investment and consumption and incomes and employment. Uh, and that, that's what we're looking at now. Uh, we don't know. There's still a lot unknown. Um, uh, about this virus, and there have been cases in the past uh, in which viruses mutated quickly into much more benign forms, and we saw that 
uh, with avian flu, for example, which never took off because of that. That's always possible. Um, the international health authorities, however, see a lot more downside risk than upside possibilities here, and that is that, um, in particular, the mortality rate may be higher than um, um, we had initially expected. And if that's the case, that intensifies all the needs to uh, close down small gatherings. You know, in in 2005, I was uh, an advisor to the Center for Biosecurity, and it was the time of the avian flu, and we um, uh, we had a series of conferences and war games, actually, uh, simulations of a pandemic, or actually the the simulation was bioterrorism. But bioterrorism operates exactly like a pandemic. And economically, as the economists looking at it, economically what, what became clear was that the economic costs arise not so much from the virus itself or the disease itself, but rather from the government's responses in an attempt to control the virus. Okay. Well, we're going to come back uh, from a break in a minute. We've uh, talked about the problem. Uh, we get back. Uh, we will discuss uh, the uh, Trump administration's uh, handling of the economics of the coronavirus. We'll be back uh, with more of our guests, Dr. Robert Shapiro, when we get back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest today is Dr. Robert Shapiro, who is chairman, well-known economist and chairman of Sonicon, an economic advisory firm, and a senior fellow of the McDonough School of Business at Georgetown University. Dr. Shapiro has advised, among others, President Bill Clinton and British Prime Ministers Tony Blair and Gordon Brown. Uh, Dr. Shapiro is here with us today to discuss the economic impact of the coronavirus. Uh, Dr. Shapiro, uh, right now, uh, to my knowledge, uh, the only thing that I know that the Trump administration has done uh, to try to deal with the economic impact of the virus is to uh, cut the uh, Federal Reserve interest rate. Now, you wrote a uh, blog that was uh, republished in the Washington Post last week that said that's not likely to help very much. No, it won't. Uh, the fact is, you know, look, one of the problems here is that the Trump administration was totally unprepared. Uh, and uh, I think of this as Trump's Katrina. Uh, and the result of being unprepared uh, and reluctant to put out negative information is that um, nobody knows exactly what the state of this virus is, and that causes panic. Panic 
panic is the, the only cure for panic is real information. People panic when they don't know, and that's part of what's happening on Wall Street as well. Uh, and this all comes from the combination of their lack of preparation and a pen, the president's um, penchant for denial of of developments and facts which are adverse to his political interest. Uh, and, you know, we, we saw this today on um, uh, Air Force One when he said he thought members of the press were wanted to get the virus so that uh, they could report on it uh, and portray it as worse than it is. The only reason anyone can portray it as worse than it is is because the Trump administration didn't have the means or the will um, to find out exactly how bad it was. Um, and I expect this penchant by the administration to continue um, because um, Trump knows that no president has ever been reelected in the midst of a recession. And he well, was let, let going me, into go this in uh, not great shape. And, um, uh, you know, ironically, this situation uh, was also quite bad for Bernie Sanders. Uh, in a, Under conditions like these where... People feel very uncertain and very threatened. Um, what you want, what people want, people become very risk-adverse. And what they want is security, assurance, um, and a return to normalcy. And Joe Biden embodies that. And um, I expect Bernie Sanders to be buried in Michigan tomorrow. And uh, it's hard to see how his campaign goes on. Uh, now, I don't want to take anything away from the second part of your um, uh, uh, of your broadcast today, but that's the you know these these are the political inferences that come directly out of this unfolding economic scenario. Yeah. Well, let's uh, try this. Uh, you know, I remember watching the election returns uh, in November, on November, in November 2016. And I remember uh, uh, saying to uh, a friend, you know, this really, Donald, the prospect of a Donald Trump presidency really scares me to death. And the example I used, I'd hesitate to think what would happen uh, under a Trump presidency if we were involved in a major war. And I wasn't thinking of a widespread virus epidemic, but uh, this is bad. It's just, it could be just as bad or even worse as a war. Uh, what, Besides being honest with the American people, which may be too much for Donald Trump to do, what should the president be doing to try to stabilize the economy? Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that will not work is interest rate cuts. Uh, And uh, the reason is that interest rate cuts work 
to encourage large purchases and investment when the markets and people believe that conditions will improve because of the interest rate cuts. Um, an interest rate cut does nothing for a virus, does nothing for a pandemic. Uh, and consequently, um, uh, it can do nothing to uh, arrest the problems in the economy that arise directly out of um, this kind of pandemic. What they can do is, for example, um, paid leave for all in all companies that do any business with the government. That's one you could start there. The second is the Federal Reserve may have to provide uh, guidance uh, or directives in to banks, the banks which they oversee all the banks, to provide forbearance for companies who have who are having problems making loan payments and individuals having trouble making uh, mortgage payments. Okay, well, uh, I certainly hope that the Trump administration get its act together because we're clearly in a life-or-death situation. Uh, Dr. Shapiro, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, we'll have more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon right after these messages. In the second half hour, uh, as usual, we'll have our provocative, progressive uh, political panel uh, Mark Grimaldi, our executive producer, will be on the panel, as he usually is. And also we'll have Democratic strategist uh, Tim Zink. Uh, we are going to, in the second half hour, talk about the presidential race. So don't go away. There will be more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon in a couple of minutes, if you can hang on. Let me just start with yep. the prospect of a recession. What chances do you think we're going to have one, and how deep will it be? Uh, more likely than not, I'd say the probability at this point are well uh, over even. I, you know, if you press me, I'd say 60, 65 percent. I think it's going to be very difficult to avoid uh, a downturn. Uh, how deep, how severe, it really depends on um, the administration and Congress. I mean, the Fed is going to cut rates to zero, uh, and then it's, the onus will quickly shift to the president and the, and the Congress to come up with a fiscal stimulus package, and depending on how aggressive and how quick they are will determine uh, the type of recovery uh, we'll get. I, I think under any scenario, though, it, it's, going to be, it's not going to be a V. I just don't see that. I mean, I, just take a look at what ha is going on in China. That's a pretty good case study. It's going to take a while before people feel comfortable to come out and get back to work and do all the things that they do. And the travel sector, I just don't see that coming back for quite some time. So, I, I you know, even under the best of circumstance, hard to see this being a, a V-shaped kind of situation. That uh, is the uh, view of economists, uh, Mark Zandi. Uh, who, like our guest in the first half hour, Dr. Robert Shapiro, paints a pretty bleak picture of the uh, effect of the coronavirus on the economy. Uh, we're back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. 
Uh, it's only been a month since the first delegate selection contest in Iowa, but we've already selected almost 40% of the delegates, and we've learned a lot. There still will be a lot of thrills and spills on the roller coaster ride to the Democratic National Convention in Milwaukee, but we have learned a thing or three by now. First, it's no fun being the front runner. The Democratic presidential primary is like the New England weather. If you don't like it, just wait 15 minutes for it to change. All the candidates wanted to be the front runner, but they should have been careful what they wish for. Former Vice President Joe Biden started out as the big favorite to win the nomination before he tanked in the fall. Senators Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris and former South Bend Mayor Mayor Pete Buttigieg all had their days in the sun before they were forced out. Active victories in New Hampshire and Nevada, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders was in the driver's seat, but he faltered on Super Tuesday, and Biden is back on top. But Biden shouldn't get too comfortable. Primary voters like to pick the nominees themselves. That's why Democrats like to take the front runners down a notch after the pundits anoint them. So be prepared for surprises on the next two Tuesdays when 10 states hold primaries and caucuses to select another 942 delegates to the Democratic National Convention. Now that the former vice president is back on top, will Democrats turn around and knock him down again, or will he hold on? Second takeaway, the glass ceiling is still intact. Sad but true. Four female Democratic members of the United States Senate ran for president. As United States Senators, all four of them, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, Kamala Harris, and Kristen Gillibrand, started the race as credible presidential candidates, but none of them made it past Super Tuesday. Warren was the last of the four sitting female senators standing, and she left the race three days before International Women's Day. Ironically, a large majority of the Democrats voting in primaries and attending caucuses this year are women. Because women, because women are such a major presence in the party, the male nominee will be under great pressure to pick a woman as his running mate. If Biden wins the nomination, Warren could, serve, Warren could serve as a bridge between the moderate nominee and the progressive wing of the party. Klobuchar proved to be a skilled debater and a Midwestern presence would benefit both Biden and Sanders. Harris just endorsed Biden, but her presence on a ticket could help Sanders reach out to African-American voters who are supporting Biden so far by a four-to-one margin. Third takeaway. Being a, pl a political insider has advantages, even in the age of anti-politics. Insurgents like Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump get all the intention, but Joe Biden just demonstrates that insiders with big-time political skills can still get it done. Biden had as good a four-day stretch as any presidential candidate ever has had between the day of the South Carolina primary and Super Tuesday. After Sanders' impressive victory in Nevada, the former vice president was hanging on by his, finger, by his fingernails, but he turned everything around with a big victory in South Carolina, which cascaded into a big win on Super Tuesday. 
He assembled an oppressive coalition of African-American and moderate white Democratic primary voters in the South, and he did it with hardly any money. Moderate white Democrats and black Democrats danced to different drummers, but both groups grooved to the Biden beat. He has been able to pull them together in a coalition based on their belief that he can take down their common enemy, Donald Trump. The Biden revival started with his endorsement by the influential African-American Congressman James Clyburn of South Carolina days before the primary there. Biden's big victory in South Carolina ended Sanders' win streak and brought the former vice president endorsements by three of the moderate Democratic presidential candidates who had already left the race, Mayor Pete, Klobuchar, and former Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke. The day after Super Tuesday, another moderate, former New York City mayor, Michael Bloomberg, dropped out of the presidential race, and he endorsed Biden, too. Meanwhile, the Vermont senator's major progressive challenger, Elizabeth Warren, also dropped out, and her silence and her failure to endorse Sanders speaks volumes. Fourth and final takeaway, even an old dog can learn new tricks. Biden's ability to work with other politicians has always been his strength as a senator from Delaware or as Barack Obama's vice president. Now in his third presidential campaign, he has finally learned how to leverage that skill into a winning campaign strategy. When Americans change presidents, they like to go from one stream to another. Think about the transition from Obama to Trump or Richard Nixon to Jimmy Carter with a short detour. The incumbent president is the ultimate insurgent who has had only one major legislative success, his disastrous tax proposal, even though he was occupied the White House for more than three years. Americans might want to do a 180 and elect an insider who can work with Congress and make the trains run on time for the first time since Barack Obama was the engineer. You can read my take on the presidential race in the Hill every Monday, at muckrack.com front slash Brad dash Bannon. That's M-U-C-K-R-A-C-K dot com front slash Brad dash Bannon. Our panelist today uh, is Tim Zink. Tim is a principal at Molecule, a public affairs and business company. A public affairs and business company. Tim has spent his distinguished career shaping public policy and politics. Joining Tim on the panel is Mark Grimaldi. Mark has been executive producer of the Leslie Marshall Show for 14 years and a progressive political activist for the last 12. Mark is also involved in campaign finance efforts around the country and philanthropic efforts for cancer research. His Twitter handle is Mark J. Grimaldi. Welcome, panel. Uh, Tim, let's start with you today. Uh, you're from Washington State. And sadly, Washington State has been ground zero in the uh, spread of the uh, coronavirus. Uh, now, fortunately, we have an able governor in Washington State. And tell us uh, how uh, Governor Inslee has handled the crisis so far. Hey, thanks. Thanks very much, Brad. Glad to be with you today. Um, well, Governor Inslee, uh, uh, as he normally does, is very aggressive in uh, trying to address these public policy issues, and in particular public health crises like 
we're confronting today. Um, he's assembled a, a top-notch team of experts uh, that include members of the private sector, Boeing, Microsoft, Amazon, and others, as well as a, a, as well as a top-notch team of public health officials uh, from the University of Washington and his own team at the Department of Health. Uh, and uh, his other advisors. And so he's getting a lot of uh, very uh, good advice. And unlike the president, he actually follows the professional's advice. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of consideration going on on what to do next. Um, but there's, uh, there is some discussion about uh, potentially implementing um, pretty uh, drastic measures like social distancing, which basically means, um, you know, eliminating uh, uh, public events over 50 or 100 people, uh, and um, also um, uh, for, on a mandatory basis, potentially, this is not this is not confirmed yet, but potentially asking people of, of all size companies to stay away from their workplace. Now, uh, several large uh, organizations, Amazon, Starbucks, headquarters, uh, Boeing, uh, and uh, Microsoft have all implemented uh, um, um, sort of a mandatory work-from-home uh, uh, um, uh, uh, determination. And so uh, many of uh, those large corporations are already implementing measures to uh, stop the uh, coronavirus in its tracks, if, if possible. Um, uh, in fact, uh, you know, Boeing also uh, issued a, a notice to its employees to, uh, to stop all non-essential travel, which is pretty remarkable given, given the business that the Boeing company's in. So a lot going on out here. Um, traffic is uh, almost nothing. Uh, we've gone from the worst traffic in the nation to probably one of the, the least traffic in the nation, given that uh, nobody's commuting to work these days. Okay. Uh, we're going to go to break now, but we come uh, back from break. We'll have more of the provocative progressive political panel uh, with our guest, Tim Zink of Molecule, and our own executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. We'll be back with more of Deadline DC right after these messages. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon to our provocative progressive political panel. Our guest, our Democratic strategist, Tim Zink, and our own executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. Mark, uh, let me try this out at, uh, on you. Uh, in the first half hour, we had uh, Dr. Robert uh, Shapiro on to talk about the, he's an economist, to talk about the economic impact of the uh, coronavirus. Uh, he says, uh, he said in the first half hour that may uh, have some impact on Bernie Sanders' campaign. The idea being that uh, with the virus outbreak, Americans are very anxious and they aren't in a mood to take risk, and that uh, may have hurt or will hurt uh, Bernie Sanders in the Democratic presidential primary. What do you think, Mark? You know, I, I think Dr. Shapiro has a handle on something here that was kind of formulating in my mind as I react to this rapidly breaking news and, and updates and all of this chaos. Um, 
I, I do see that. I'll give you an anecdote. There was a uh, story today in Axios, uh, both you and Tim probably saw, because I know you guys keep up with uh, with so much of the news, um, where they talked about how you know Biden is not getting ahead of himself, but his team, part of his team, is looking at what type of cabinet they would want to try to put together if he was to become president. And, uh, you know, there was a uh, somewhere in the article, it said something to the effect of to get back to normal. And you know, different, um, uh, I think even Senator Sanders on Twitter uh, quoted the, the story and, and was, you know, basically hitting him over the head with the fact of, of the term back to normal, saying, you know, that's no good. Whereas after the news cycle today, and as Dr. Shapiro said, actually, he told me off air, statistically, it's the worst day in the history of the Dow Jones um, that sounds pretty appealing to a lot of Americans, I would think. Um, whereas just a few weeks ago, it would not sound that way to many Americans. Um, the one thing I think that I think Senator Sanders could seize on, however, um, is that he is more aggressive in healthcare in the sense of trying to ensure more Americans through Medicare for all. And you have this situation of many Americans getting sick and you're going to have, you know, eventually uh, a um, vaccine. But there's questions about is it going to be affordable? And I think if he utilizes the argument of I'm going to cover more people with health insurance through my plan and look how important that is in a time of a pandemic. Um, I think he could potentially try to get an advantage there. Um, However, I do think the other otherwise underlying theme of that argument uh, rings true. Um, And also the chaos that we're seeing every day from President Trump. Um, one quick, one more quick thing here, Brad, and I'll let you and Tim give your thoughts. But that Vanity Fair story that um, Dr. Shapiro was beginning to cite is from Gabriel Sherman. And even by Trump standards, it blew my mind. I'll give you two quick quotes from it. You can find it in Vanity Fair. Um, this is from Gabriel Sherman again. Quote, last week, Trump told aides he's afraid journalists will try to purposefully contract coronavirus to give it to him on Air Force One. And the other part of the story said, quote, he wants the Justice Department to open investigations of the media for stock market manipulation by putting out fake news. I mean, does that sound like someone who's even remotely stable or even remotely uh, comparable to Trump in the early stages of his presidency? I mean, that's 25th Amendment territory if we've ever seen it. And that goes back to your point, Brad, of this rash of instability and and what type of you know candidate are they going to try to look for and if one is quote unquote you know more boring or back to normal that argument away from that may have been turned on its head in the last week yeah we'll see uh yeah i think we need more of uh, governor inslee of washington and less of the president absolutely um uh tim uh tomorrow there are democratic primaries uh, in six or caucuses in six states, Missouri, Mississippi, uh, Washington State, Michigan, North Dakota, and Idaho. Now, Washington State, where you're from, has a reputation as a progressive state. Uh, What do you think is going to happen there? I hate to make predictions, but I got to be honest with you, Brad. I think the I think the news is breaking in favor of Biden in Washington State. Um, I think two weeks ago, um, 
uh, based on Survey USA data that I've seen, uh, uh, Mr. Sanders was way ahead. However, recent data that just came out, I believe, on Friday puts uh, within the margin of error puts Biden ahead by one. Uh, that's a significant trend line, if that's true. Uh, you can also feel it. Uh, people aren't into the revolution. They are into stability. Uh, and I think the virus works in the favor of Biden. Somebody who knows Washington is an old hand, knows how to get something done and fix problems. Yeah. Um, Tim, uh, why do, what, what do you think, what turned the tide? Well, let me know. Let, let me ask a different way. Uh, do you think there's any way, do you think Joe Biden's going to be the nominee, or do you think there's a chance that Bernie Sanders can stop him? You know, I think Joe Biden is going to be the nominee. Uh, I think the trend is going, I think we see the same trend in other states. Um, uh, you know, like he probably is going to take Michigan as well. Joe Biden is who I'm talking about. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I'm sure if Biden wins the nomination. Excuse me. If Biden wins Michigan and Washington and other states uh, tomorrow, um, you know it's pretty much statistically impossible for uh, Mr. Sanders to move forward. Yeah, it looks tough for Bernie Sanders uh, in Michigan. Uh, it looks like uh, Joe Biden. A uh, new poll that was released yesterday showed him 15 points ahead in Michigan after being in a close race. And the tide does uh, seem to be moving uh, in the former vice president's direction. Uh, but as I said in the open, uh, lots of ups and downs in Democratic primaries. Voters hate to be told who their nominee is before their vote. So we'll see. That's all for today, folks. Thanks to my guest, Dr. Robert Shapiro, Democratic strategist Tim Zink of Molecule, and our executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. I'm here Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, if the Lord is willing and the creek don't rise, unless Donald Trump declares martial law, that is, and I'm afraid we're getting closer and closer to that point every week I do the show. But take care. Uh, be careful out there. And uh, we'll see what happens uh, in the next week before I'm back next Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Have a good week, or at least try. And Brad, one other quick point as we just have 30 seconds here. I, I think I want to hit on your point real quick of people taking care of each other. It, it's a scary time. It's easy for things to get out of control. Um, you know, go to people you trust, whether it be the CDC or the national, you know, your governors like Inslee, um, and just take care of each other on a final note. Wise words, Mark. Thank you very much. And we'll all be back uh, a week from today with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon.